You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of classic apologetics while entering into the arena of ideas. This is the Bellator Christie podcast, and we welcome you today. This is your host, yours truly, Brian Chilton, and we thank you for joining us today on this podcast. Uh, Bellator Christie podcast is a production of bellatorchristie.com, and we do encourage you to go to the website, uh, check out, in, and be, feel free to share any articles or any podcast uh, that may bless your heart, uh, help us get the word out about this ministry. So feel free to share uh, the articles in this podcast with anyone you know uh, on social media. Uh, we also ask that you would go to the consider going to the website and uh, subscribing uh, to BellatorChristie.com by simply entering in your uh, email address under the tag subscribe. Uh, they, by doing so, you'll receive every article and every link to the podcast uh, produced by BellatorChristie.com uh, uh, in your inbox. And the best part is this is absolutely free. Uh, Bellator Christie podcast can be found on iTunes, TuneIn Radio, and Stitcher. Today, we're going to bring to you a special edition of the Bellator Christie podcast, as we try to do uh, so every Wednesday. We're going to present to you the message that was just presented uh, to the good folks at Huntsville Baptist Church by yours truly. Uh, we are going through a series entitled Mere Christianity. Uh, this is taken, of course, from C.S. Lewis's great uh, work uh, by the same name. In the book Mere Christianity, he discusses the core fundamental, uh, core fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith, and many have sought to do the same as well. Already uh, in our series, we have seen uh, first in the first message that God is exclusive, eternal, transcendent, meaning that he's beyond creation and personal working within creation. In our second message, we noted that Jesus is 100 percent God and 100 percent human in his identity to to accept anything less than that is to go outside the boundaries of Christianity. 
Well, today we want to take a look at uh, the uh, the work of Jesus and and actually why it's so important that Jesus came in the flesh as he did. And so we're going to look at uh, seven reasons why the incarnation was necessary as we examine the fundamentals of Christ's incarnation, part of this series uh, entitled Mere Christianity. Today we'll be coming from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 18. Now we encourage you to join us for this message already in progress. Been uh, going over the past few weeks, going through a sermon series entitled, uh, actually named after the great uh, Christian apologist by the name of C.S. Lewis. If you've uh, ever read uh, or, or seen the the movies, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, they came from the pen of uh, C.S. Lewis, who first penned those. C.S. Lewis wrote uh, perhaps one of the one of my favorite books. Uh, that he has ever penned by the name of Mere Christianity, talking about the fundamentals of the Christian religion. And we're going to continue that study today. Uh, over the course of the past couple of weeks, we've seen two important truths. Now, there are some things that we are free to, to dis disagree on, and that's a wonderful thing. But these things make up the core of Christianity. And the first week we discussed who God is, and we found that God is the only one. We've seen that He is the only God. There's not a bunch of different gods. There's only one God. We also saw that He is eternal, that uh, He is transcendent, which means He is beyond the scope of creation. Uh, in other words, He is not bound by space and time. We also see that He's very personal, uh, that He works with creation, that He does the miraculous. I watched a video by uh, Craig Keener last night, uh, part of it, he did a, 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 a lecture on, on miracles, and, and it's, it's unbelievable the miracles that God still does today. Uh, in fact, growing uh, intestines uh, back to individuals who need that, healing cancers and healing all manners of sickness and diseases. God is still doing that today as he did 2,000 years ago. And there's countless uh, uh, illustrations and examples of how God works in creation. Last week we saw uh, the, the, the main important truth is, last week, that Jesus is 100% God and he is also 100% man. If you take either side of that away from the equation, you don't, you don't find yourself within Christianity. Jesus is 100% God, he's 100% man. Well, today we're going to take that a step further. We're going to ask the question, why was the incarnation uh, important. And when we talk about the incarnation, we're talking about a theological term that means that God entered into the scope of humanity. That God took on flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, there was a song you may recall back in the 90s. It wasn't my favorite song. I don't like exactly how it was termed. But a popular song that asked, what if God was one of us? Do you remember that song? Well, God was one of us, and He walked among us, and He is, in fact, Jesus Christ. And, and so there was a reason why God came in the flesh as, she, as He did and did what He did. So we want to encourage you to turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verses 5 through 18. Verses 5 through 18, lengthy passage of Scripture, I know, but a very important passage of Scripture. As we're going to take a look at the fundamentals of Christ's incarnation, we're going to look more specifically at seven reasons why God came in the flesh as He did in Jesus Christ, being 100% God and 100% man. And we invite you to please stand as we pay homage to the reading and hearing of God's precious Holy Word.
The writer of Hebrews states, For he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection of, to, to angels, but one testified in a certain place saying, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in, all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to, glo to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For, he, for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here I am and the children whom God has given me. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people, for that he himself has suffered. Being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and its meaning to us. I just simply ask as your servant today that you would speak through me, allow me to, to speak the words that you desire to be spoken, and hold back any that you don't desire to be spoken. And in and through it all, Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear, and our hearts that we'll apply these truths and be better for it. For it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. I read a story this past week of uh, a story of an elephant and a story of a little mouse. Now, I don't know if, you know, you always hear of elephants being afraid of mice. I don't know if that's true. Because if you're as big of an elephant, what would you have to fear in a little mouse? I mean, all you have to do is put his foot down and smash the mouse. That'd be the end of it. But anyhow, there's a story in Africa about this, this uh, elephant who was enjoying the coolness of the waters, taking a bath in this river. And he really enjoyed this river, being the, this mighty pachyderm that he was. Well, this little mouse, this bold little mouse, was sitting on the, on the side of the shore, the sandy shore, looking over to the river to this big, to this big uh, elephant and saying, Hey, you. Yeah, you in the water. Come over here. And this elephant looked at him and rolled his eyes, thinking, What in the world would this little mouse want with him? And he looked at him again and said, Hey, you. Come here. I need to see you right now. And the elephant again, he kind of just rolled over and just not, paid attention, not paying attention to this mouse. And then again he yells, hey you, I need to see you right here, right now on this sandy shore. And he says, fine. And this mouse was persistent, he wouldn't give up. So finally this massive behemoth uh, stood up out of the water and started lumbering himself over to the sandy shore and looked at the mouse. The mouse sized him up and down, didn't say anything. 
And the elephant again looked at him, just staring at him. I was like, well, what? You called me over here. I was enjoying my bath. You called me over here. What is the matter? And the mouse just said, well, I was just wanting to see if you stole my bathing suit. Now, can you imagine a mouse fitting in an elephant's bathing suit or an elephant fitting in a mouse's bathing suit? It just, it just, it just befuddles our mind that something like that could happen. But consider this. What an amazing fact it is that the God of all eternity came down and dwelt among us. It just seems beyond rationality, beyond comprehension that God could do that, but He did. And what we find in this passage of Scripture and many others throughout the Scriptures is that we find that the incarnation, the thing that we celebrate at Christmas time, not the Christmas trees, not the glitz and glamour or the commercialism of the season, but the fact, the mere fact that Christ came, that God came and put on flesh and dwelt among us. What an inconceivable thing that God would do that, that He would come and dwell among us, and that is what the incarnation is all about. And let me just say that there are many people, you may hear them on television today, and, I, and, I, and it troubles me, there are many people who say, well, the virgin birth isn't an important thing to believe. You can toss it in the wastebasket and not believe it. I have trouble with that. I have a great trouble with that because if Jesus is who the Bible purports Him to be, then He cannot be just like any other person. He had to come in a very special form and a very, very special fashion. So I do hold and fervently believe in the virgin birth of Christ that uh, Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, who came and who died upon the order of Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried on the third day according to the Scriptures. Amen? I hold to that fervently, and I do not apologize for that. I hold to the miraculous claims of the Bible. Why? Because there's evidence to hold it's true. I don't just wish that it's true. It's true because it confers with reality. But there are seven reasons why we need to understand that the Incarnation is absolutely fundamental in our Christian faith. The number, and the first thing we find is the Incarnation fundamental of Christ's representative obedience. Christ served as a representative to us. And we find in the book of uh, Hebrews 2.9, uh, the writer expresses the obedience of Christ as He followed the Father's plan, this plan that was established from the beginning of creation, before the foundation of creation, that God the Father knew that we were going to rebel. God the Father knew what was going to take place, and He set a plan in motion to save us from our sins. It would be sufficient so that the world could be saved, but efficient only applying to those who would come to faith, which the Bible terms as the elect of God. Romans 5, verses 18 and 19, Paul states that as one trespass, uh, led to con condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man, speaking of Adam, the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Christ's righteousness serves as a representation of what the obedient life is all about. You know, Christ, uh, you know, Adam, he, he did not have the sin nature that we do, but it's because of Adam that we have the sin nature that we do. Adam was tempted, and he, had, he made a clear conscious choice. He, he didn't have the inclination to sin as we do. He made the clear conscious choice to rebel against God. And since that moment in time, everyone who came after him would be born with a sin nature. 
Because once you introduce sin to holiness, you, you've infected the entire thing. That's why God cannot be, God must be absolutely holy. There is no sin in God whatsoever. The best way to depict this is uh, how many of you have ever gone to Lowe's or Home Depot and you see those little strips of paint you know, that they have? And they'll usually have three or four colors that look very similar. Now, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a guy thing, but I have a difficult time seeing the difference between some of these colors. Jennifer, one time, she got a strip and it was white, off white, and bone. She said, honey, which do you like the, the best of these three? What's the difference? <laughs> there's a difference, honey. I'll tell you, there's a difference. And I looked at that thing, and I looked at that thing, and it was hard to tell, but there was a difference between the white and the off-white and the bone colors. And it's the same way with blue colors. You have this type of blue and another type of blue and another type of blue. Some of them are just so minute and different that I can't hardly tell the difference. In fact, I had to ask Patsy if that was purple or blue today. I couldn't tell the difference. Uh, but it's a beautiful color. I love it. Well, the point is, when it comes to the human realm, once sin is introduced, all of humanity is infected by that sin. And so that's why we could not have someone who, who was made just exactly like us to come. We had to have the eternal perfect God come in flesh to serve as the, per, the perfect example of obedience to, to represent us, in that case, to show us what it's like to live a perfect life. Number two, we see the incarnational fundamental of Christ. Now this is the home run thing. If you don't hear anything else that's said, make sure you get this part right. This is the absolute fundamental that we have to have as Christians, this number two, this number, this point here. That is the substitutionary atonement. We see that in verses 16 and 17. And we also see um, uh, where he says, uh, had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might come a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. Now what in the world is propitiation? What in the world does that mean? That's one of those good theological terms. We have to, I had to even look it up to, to get a good, proper way to define this. What this means, and understand, if you don't hear anything else in this message, this is the absolute fundamental of the Christian faith. What this means is that you cannot save yourself. I cannot save myself. And what that simply means is this, that God is a holy God. And, and sin is a very serious thing. A lot of times people will say, well, why doesn't God just wave His hand and say, well, honey, you're forgiven? Because that's not the way God operates. Amen? A lot of times, I, mean, I don't know if you've ever seen it before, but uh, have you ever seen uh, uh, in, in, the, in a grocery store or maybe it's in a restaurant, uh, there are kids running wild, they're destroying everything, and, and one of the parents will say, now, honey, don't do that. And they'll go back enjoying their meal while the kids continue to destroy the place. Anybody ever seen that? That's not God. Let me just tell you, amen? That's not God. God, with sin, takes sin serious. And the sin that we have in our lives is a very serious thing. And the Bible tells us that one sin, one sin will send you to hell. Anyone ever have a bad thought? <laughs> well, did you? <laughs> Well, guess what? Jesus says that if you commit adultery in your heart, it's the same thing as doing the practice. 
He says that if you have hatred in your heart towards someone, it's the same as murder. That's the level of holiness we're looking at. So it is absolutely impossible. You may say, well, Brian, he could be saved. No one could, and that's the reason. That's why God had to come and do for us what we could not do for ourselves. That's why what this propitiation means is that when Jesus hung on the cross, I believe he was looking through the portals of time, saying, whosoever will, let him come. And those who come were, of course, the elect of God, that he would say, I want to save that person. I want to say, he had you on his mind. I really believe that. He had you on his mind and all the sins of your life were nailed to that cross because Christ did for you what you could not do for yourself. If Jesus was a sinner, it wouldn't work because he would just have been dying for his own sin. But the fact that he was the sinless son of God who was absolutely perfect in every way, I mean, he bore the sin, he bore the punishment that you and I so rightly deserved he bore your punishment upon the cross so that you could live eternally with him in heaven and beloved if we get that wrong we have left christianity that's the absolute fundamental uh, aspect of christianity something that we must understand and so number three we also see i gotta move on running out of time number three the incarnation fundamental of christ's divine mediation i want you to turn with me here this is important and I'm going to need Caswell's help here. 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. And when you're there, let me hear you say amen. Okay, now 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says, there, For there is... Cas, how many does that say there? How many gods does that say? The, one, one god. And how many says there is one God and there is one mediator between God and humanity. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man shall come to the Father but by me. There's no other way to heaven except through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I believe the Lord Jesus Christ does many things in many ways to bring people to salvation, many ways that we never even fathom, and I don't have time to get into it, but I wrote an article about this very thing. If you go check it out on my website at bellatorchristi.com, I wrote an article, a piece, about how God has even come to people uh, in the concentration camps all across the world. People have had visions. It's taking place where they see the Messiah and they're led to salvation because of the grand work of Christ as He is seeking and to save the lost. But it's not through a multiplicity, multiple ways of people coming to heaven. It's only through one way, one truth, one life, and that is Jesus Christ. Amen? A lot of people are going by the wayside on this saying, well, you can go to faith by Buddha, you can go to faith by these other avatars. No, there's only one way. The one way, truth, and the life, and that is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. He, because if Jesus is who He says He is, if Jesus is who the Bible purports Him to be, there can't be any other way. Amen? There can't be any other way because He would be the exclusive way to the Father. I know that's an inconvenient truth. I wish I could tell you there were several different ways, but that's just by sheer logic and by the truths of Scripture what we find today. Number four, the incarnation fundamental of Christ's creational rule 
In verse 8 we see that in putting everything in subjection to Him, He left nothing outside His control. At present we do not see everything in subjection to Him, but we, we see Him for, for a little while who was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of suffering of death. Now in Matthew 28 verse 18, Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. We also go to um, Revelation 3.21. He says, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on his throne. Guess what this means? When God made the world, he made it good. But we sinned and we messed things up. And so by doing so, Satan has become the God of this world, you can say. Uh, evil is running amok in this world. But guess what's going on? Jesus, step by step, is taking back control of his creation because this belongs to him. It doesn't belong to the devil. Step by step, he's taking back control. At the cross, the devil was embarrassed. And guess what happens when people get embarrassed and they don't get their way? They start rioting, don't they? <laughs> start setting things on fire, throwing bricks through windows, acting like a big old bunch of babies, amen? Tell me I'm not the only one seeing this. People act like a big old bunch of babies because they didn't get in my way and they want to go and have their corner and suck on their pasties and act like real two-year-olds rather than grown adults. Well, guess what? The devil does the same thing. He knows step by step he's losing control of this creation. He step by step he's losing control and Jesus is taking over. It happened at the cross. It happened at the resurrection. And the final enemy, death itself, will be overcome. And Satan will be thrown in the lake of fire. I think he knows it's coming. He just don't want to admit to it. But the fact is he's acting like a big old baby. So he's going to try to stir up as much mess. Boy, is he not doing that in his days and times. He's going to try to stir up as much mess as he possibly can. But guess what? It doesn't change the fact that the devil is defeated. His time is coming. So let the devil suck on his old patsy because Jesus is still the ruler and reigner of all creation. And step by step it happened at the cross. Step by step it happened at the resurrection. Step by step Christ is taking over the creation that he rightly deserves that really belongs to him. Number four. Amen. Say it out loud. The fundamental of Christ's creation rule, we still look at that. Number five, we see the incarnation fundamental of Christ's perfect moral example. We see in verse 18, because He Himself has suffered when tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted. Understand, how many of you have ever been tempted to do something bad? <laughs> Amen. Well, guess what? That don't make you a bad person. Because there's no temptation that's come to you that hasn't come to someone else. Did you know that? All of us are tempted. But the thing with Jesus, He was tempted in every way that we are tempted, but He did not sin because He served as the perfect moral example. 1 John 2, 6 says, Whoever says He abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which He walked. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The fact of the matter is, it's good for us to have heroes. We need to have heroes of the faith, people we look up to, people we admire. But understand, if you want to have the best example on how to live, look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because He was absolutely perfect. He was absolutely sinless. In His 30 plus years walking on this earth, He never one time sinned. 
And he's the only person who could ever say that that happened to him. He serves as our perfect moral example. Number six, we see that he is also the first fruits of the resurrection. And this is actually going to be the topic of next week's study. We're moving step by step, looking at the fundamentals of the Christian religion. Next week we're going to talk about the resurrection of Christ. It's going to be all about the resurrection of Christ and it's going to be good. If, you, if there's one Sunday you need to be here for this, this series, this next Sunday, because this is my favorite topic of all, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But we're going to just make a little point here to say that the resurrection of Christ is absolutely amazing. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 and 23, and in verse 26, says that Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, meaning those who've died. For as by man came death, meaning Adam, for by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, for as in Adam all died, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Amen? Amen. By each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who then uh, at his coming uh, belong to Christ, the last enemy destroyed is death. Colossians 1.18 says that Christ is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. Christ, at His resurrection, has defeated death. What that essentially means is death has died. Jesus says that those who are in Him never die. Amen? We have the promise, beloved, that, you know, when Jesus spoke to the criminal at the cross, He says, this very day you will be with Me in paradise. Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And one day when Jesus returns, the Bible tells us that He's bringing forth the great resurrection of His people. And at that time, I hope you didn't spend a whole lot of money on these tombs out here because they're going to be shaking, rocking, and rolling because when Christ comes back, the dead in Christ will be raised to meet him in the air. That's the promise of 1 Thessalonians. That's the promise of 1 Corinthians 15. That's the promise of Christ's resurrection that death has died. And in Christ, we have life eternal. And we no longer have to worry about death. I saw them to, I believe it was Chris this past week, and I even mentioned something to Jennifer about this too. You know, death itself doesn't really bother me when it comes to my time. You know, I'm not going to say that I'm not going to have hesitations and stuff like that because... Like anybody, we're entering into a new phase, a new, new form of existence. But at the same time, I don't really dread the death part itself that bad. It's all that mess that comes before it, you know. It's all that junk that comes before it, you know, as you're waiting before the process to happen. That's the mess I, I dread. I think that's why, like most people, I just pray when it's my time, God, just take me to my sleep. Wouldn't that be nice to go to sleep one night, wake up in eternity the next morning, that one eternal day? Couldn't get any better than that, but of course, that's not up to me. But you know, a lot of times uh, it's important for us to understand that with Christ, we no longer have to worry about death. Can you imagine what it would be like if we lived our lives without worrying about death? Without having it in the back of our minds? But you know, with Christ Jesus, we have that potential. That we can live life without worrying about death because in Him, He's already defeated death. We have life eternal in Christ Jesus. And I better stop because I could preach a whole message. In fact, next week I will preach a whole message on the resurrection. And last but certainly not least, the incarnation fundamental of a sympathetic high priest. We see this in verses 17 and 18. Notice 
that he says that he might be made a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. And what this simply means, uh, let, let me go and read another passage of Scripture here. Uh, Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. He says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The wonderful thing about this is, is that Christ knows what it's like. He knows absolutely what it's like to go through the temptations of life. He knows absolutely what it's like to go through the things of life. And He has overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of His testimony. He is a faithful high priest. He is a faithful high priest. And you know, the wonderful thing about Jesus is that He's very approachable. You know, when I went to a conference, uh, apologetics conference, uh, there was uh, Dr. Gary Habermas. He's uh, one of the leading experts on the resurrection, near-death experiences, and things of that nature. Uh, he is a professor at Liberty University, which is another reason I like him so well. Uh, but one thing about him is he is a very approachable person. You know, uh, you, you can come up to him and talk with him. He's a very nice guy. Found out that he's a Green Bay Packers fan. Another reason I like him. But, uh, you know, he's a really good guy. Not just because of that, uh, but he's a really nice guy. When you take a look at Jesus, Jesus who has the title above all titles, the King of kings and Lord of lords, he was very approachable. Children loved being around him. Children loved Jesus. And so did everyone else, except for those who, who uh, were his enemies, of course. But, but, but everyone wanted to be around Jesus. Jesus was very approachable. And so a lot of times, what will happen when people, they hear the gospel message, they think to themselves, well, certainly Jesus wouldn't accept someone like me. Certainly, you know, he, he, he doesn't know all the bad things that I've ever done in my life. Certainly he couldn't love someone like me. But guess what? He does. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Which means that with Jesus, you know, it, Jesus, uh, when he talks about fishing, you know, fishing for men, you know, I think he catches them before he cleans them. He brings them in the fold of the family and then he works on a person's heart, transforming that person, making them into his image. Let me close with this. The other day I was uh, talking with a friend of mine as a guy I graduated high school with. Um, and we were talking about the difference between Christianity and every other world religion. And you know, the, it's, it's very startling the differences between Christianity and, the ever, and every other world religion. Because every other world religion has a step-by-step -step plan about how man can reach up to God. But Christianity is the exact opposite. Because in Christianity, through Christ, we see God reaching down to humanity. Reaching us at our point of need. Reaching us just as we are. And loving us with an unconditional love. Willing to save us. Willing to change us. Willing to mold us into His image. Transforming our minds. Transforming our hearts transforming our lives and one day giving us an eternal glorified body that's unlike anything we can ever think or imagine. I was talking to my uncle yesterday and, uh, and my dad and uncle, and I, you know, so like the older I get, the more creaks and stiffness and things this happen. You know, my uncle told me, he says, well, just wait, it gets worse. <laughs> I hate to tell you, it gets worse. But what's it going to be like when we receive that glorified body and there's no more aches and pains? There's, there's no more diabetes? No more heart disease. No more heart congestion. No more, no more of these things that plague us. 
No more arthritis. Well, that'd be great, amen? No more arthritis. No more of these aches and pains that we suffer in this world. That's the promise we have in Christ Jesus today. So if you're here today and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, may I encourage you to come and receive Him today before it's eternally too late. Jesus promises to love you. He promises that He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. That He will lead you to life eternal. Grant you life eternal. And there's no one, anyone who comes to Him, He says He will no wise cast out. So if you'll come and receive Him today, you'll have a friend that sticks closer than any brother. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, ask yourself this question. Do you know that you know that you know that you've been born again? Have you received that gift of eternal life? And if you haven't, let me encourage you to come down and receive Him today. Maybe you'd like to come down and join the ministry of Huntsville Baptist Church. Whatever God is saying and doing in your heart and your life, we just encourage you to come and respond as the Holy Spirit leads. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for loving us as you do. And we thank you so much for the opportunity we have today to come and worship you in spirit and truth. And we just ask that you would have your will and your way in this time of invitation. And we'll give you all the thanks and glory for it all. For it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen and amen. Would you please stand as we sing our final selection. The Bellator Christie Podcast is a production of bellatorchristie.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights are reserved. The views expressed by guests on the podcast are of those expressing them and may not represent those of the host Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. The theme played on the podcast is the song Epic and is produced royalty-free by Bensound Studios found at bensound.com. Visit bellatorchristie.com and subscribe by entering your email to receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox absolutely free. This podcast can also be found on several podcatchers, including iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We thank you for joining us today. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. (laughs) 